survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I am your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. Hi, welcome back to Survive and Thrive, a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how in changing times, leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but also thrive. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. We're kicking off our podcast series featuring 19 stories and perspectives on how COVID-19 has facilitated an imperative for change and what leaders and organizations are doing in response to that change. Today, I want to share a remarkable story with you about a woman who altered her life's plan to address a desperate problem in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic. Let's go back to early 2020. We've already witnessed various degrees of disruption, from the wildfires in Australia to Brexit to the impeachment trials. By February, we thought so much had already happened this year. But whew, boy, were we wrong. Something much more devastating on a global scale was gaining momentum, while most of us were trying to live out our normal day-to-day lives. My guest today, Kirsten Curtis, was on her way to what she thought would be a dream vacation. Not just any vacation. Kirsten had recently resigned from her high-pressure job and planned to spend six months traveling the world. How wonderful. After years of a demanding workload, she could finally take a breath and relax and have this wonderful opportunity. She had no idea what was to come. Kirsten received her undergrad degree from Stanford University and earned her master's in engineering from MIT in supply chain with a concentration in public health. Intelligent and hardworking, Kirsten had quickly worked her way up in supply chain management. I was intrigued by all the interesting supply chain challenges that that Safeway had, and I was able to work my way up the career ladder quite quickly and became the vice president of supply chain strategic initiatives uh, at Safeway. My last role there was figuring out how to merge the supply chains of Safeway and Albertsons when Safeway got acquired. So I I worked with the team and we put together the $60 billion supply chain. And that was super fun and interesting. But after that, um, they offered me any position I wanted as long as it was in Boise, Idaho, because the entire executive team was moving to Boise. I didn't want to move to Boise and I thought, you know, it's time to try something new. And I thought, ah, you know, it'd it'd be fun to be a venture capitalist. That sounds fun. Afterwards, Kirsten changed paths and worked in venture capital as well as private equity. For years, she worked long hours and managed a demanding job. This past year, she quit her job and began a well-deserved six-month travel around the globe. This was in March of 2020. So, Kirsten departed from the U.S. and landed at her first resort on March 14th. Well, that evening, the resort closed, and she had 24 hours to evacuate. Kirsten was able to catch a flight home to Rio, Nevada, where that's where some of the troubles began. Now, over the past few years, Kirsten traveled so much for work that she was rarely home. 
In fact, she had only spent 15 days in Reno last year. Now in lockdown, she found herself with limited knowledge of the area, few friends, and now no job. So for a couple days, she's wandering around thinking, what's next? And well, that's when the phone calls began. Because of her diverse background and experience and network, Kirsten has made so many friends with professionals in different fields over the years. Suddenly, many of her doctor friends were calling her. They said, Kirsten, please can you help us? Um, we, we don't have PPE. We, we, you know, we had all these masks and they got stolen from the hospital or we ran out or, you know, I, I, can't, I can't get thermometers. Like, please, aren't you in supply chain? Like, can't you do anything? And by the third or fourth call, I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, I, I do have a background in supply chain and the specialization in public health supply chain. I've spent the last four years helping companies grow and scale. They needed help and they needed her help. After the third or fourth call, Kirsten looked to her background in public health and supply chain. And more specifically, since she had spent four years helping companies grow in size, in her words, This is essentially a scaling problem. Mm -hmm. I I Mm -hmm. think I can help. Doggone it, I'm going to help. Kirsten had spent earning the six-month vacation she would never take. Instead, she got a call to action, quite literally, and she answered that call with grace and tenacity. She began reaching out to hospitals and clinics and started putting together a supply chain program that emphasizes how to improve inventory management, how to better assess the PPE the hospital does have, and how best to distribute it. I worked hard, and I was networking. I was reaching out to people I knew and and friends of friends, and there was very little traction until I reached out to a friend at the White House, and she put me in touch with a group called Project N95. And Project N95 was positioning themselves to be the hub of supply and demand for PPE. And it was an organization that had just sprouted up thanks to COVID. And I met the founder, and, and you know we, we started working together. Kirsten met up with the founder, Andrew Strope, and soon they were working together. Strope did an incredible job of not only running Project N95, but also amassing volunteers to join it. As one of its vital volunteers, Kirsten continued speaking with clinics and hospitals. However, she started to observe another issue in more than one place. She noticed a pattern of error, and people were dying because of it. Now, it was around this time in March that our company, Consinity, launched an altruistic effort called the COVID Rapid Response Team, or CRRT, in partnership with AES Controls and 4x3, and with advisory guidance from Kenny Beck of CEO Connect. You'll learn more about that in a future episode, but it was at this time that my partner, Samantha Collins, directed me to Kirsten. We were experiencing the same phenomenon as Kirsten described. We had lined up equipment and suppliers, and we were ready to initiate the process, but the demand we kept hearing about or getting calls about was, well, a moving target. Every time we answered the mail, so to speak, and followed through on our end to confirm quantities, etc., the need wasn't there, but the cries for help kept coming in. So in utter frustration, we reached out to our network to figure out what's going on. And that's when Kirsten gave us a very enlightening education. From the outside, the problem with PPE 
always seemed to be that there wasn't enough supply to fit the demand. However, in speaking with the suppliers and with the hospitals, Kirsten found the opposite was true. When she was reaching out to suppliers, they had plenty of PPE. But when contacting hospitals, she was discovering they still didn't have anything. There was a mismatch in supply and demand. Kirsten decided to investigate the issue further. During COVID, my mom was sending me cat videos. I mean, she was bored. And by throwing myself at this problem and by engaging others to get involved, I didn't feel lonely. I didn't feel bored. I didn't have time for that. I was solving a big problem and and working with a team to get it done. It was such a mind shift uh, from the first few days of COVID when, you know, I didn't know what was the world was going to do to really sinking my teeth in and, and, and solving this problem. Kirsten set out to solve a national crisis. Kirsten worked day and night without end to understand the root cause. She believed that somewhere down the line, information must have been getting lost or redirected. Eventually, she discovered why supplies couldn't get to where they were needed most. The reality was much worse. Kirsten identified that the number one cause of this supply and demand gap was payment terms. In talking to the various clinics that that I was working with, as well as the suppliers I was working with, what I found out is that people were dying over payment terms. And that just broke my heart. The suppliers were scaling their operations and they needed cash in order to pay for raw materials and were demanding upfront payments. The purchasers didn't want to pay upfront for everything, anything. You heard in the news about all this fraudulent material, suppliers shipping pool noodles versus N95 masks. And I will say when I I started jumping in, there were some sketchy people. I mean, you know, Israeli arm dealers and, you know, businessmen from Ghana, you know, like who I didn't feel comfortable working with. I think there was a lot of fear in the marketplace. And, you know, we're talking about large transactions in the millions of dollars. The hospitals had a right to be afraid and a right to, to not want to pay until they verified the product. So you could see both sides. The suppliers actually truly needed the cash. And because there was so much global demand, they were prioritizing customers who, who would pay up front. Totally get it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so this mismatch caused a gap in the market. So that's when we tried various ways of fixing it. So one was coming up with financing. One was working with charities. We actually partnered with a charity called giving.org. They were instrumental in helping to raise money to help bridge this gap between supply and demand in terms of the financing of it. It was fascinating because the media made it sound like there's just this massive shortage. But every every factory I called said, yeah, we got tons. Here's our price. Willing to ship, you know, within you know two weeks or whatever it was. There were other challenges. There were logistical challenges with flights being grounded. There wasn't as much cargo going out. There was government seizing product. Uh, I was working on one transaction, and we were able to match together a supplier and a buyer. And then FEMA came in to help and help, quote unquote, and uh, seized all the product. So that was a that was an issue. Hmm. There were various other challenges, but but just what struck me was that it wasn't just this shortage. This, it was a a true mismatch between supply and demand. So with suppliers demanding upfront payment and hospitals and clinics hesitant to purchase out fear of fraudulence, frankly, a gap in the marketplace formed. Legitimate PPE sat in supply hubs unused. More importantly, 
doctors and patients went without the desperately needed materials. While there were many shifting factors, Kirsten suddenly understood that the shortage of PPE was not a supply problem, but rather a financial one. Kirsten decided then that she needed to do something about it. After Kirsten connected the dots, she reached out to her connections and started aggregating a coalition of about 12 people to solve the financial issue of the PPE situation. This group included those who have worked in private equity and venture capital. So we formed this this group and started to tackle the supply-demand mismatch, and we called ourselves Benevolent Impact PPE Bridge. The Benevolent Impact PPE Bridge approached the problem in several ways. They raised finances, as well as involved charities. In particular, they partnered with a charity called Giving.org, who were instrumental in raising money to bridge the gap between supply and demand. There were logistical challenges, such as grounded flights or FEMA seizing supplies before transactions could be finalized between a supplier and a purchaser. However, overall, there was not a shortage of PPE, as reported in the media. Every factory Kirsten spoke to had tons of supplies waiting to be shipped out. They just needed to be matched to a buyer. I know from my own personal experience with our company's program, CRRT, we definitely struggled to match the converted CPAP machines that we had to buyers. When Kirsten began the Benevolent Impact PPE bridge, she thought they could resolve the problem in a few weeks. After all, the team was knowledgeable and very diligent. They pivoted their whole lives and careers to address this national need. Kirsten says she worked harder than she's ever had to work in her life, 80 to 100 hours a week, easily for months on end. I worked harder than I've ever worked in my life. And I will tell you, I, I'm a very hard worker, so that's a bold statement. Finally, it took longer than I thought. It took more effort than I thought it ever would. But finally, we were able to get hospitals PPE. And the thing that warmed my heart is there was actually a press release from uh, Northeast Valley Clinics. Uh, they're out of San Fernando Valley. But they, they wrote a nice press release and happens to be a clinic where I have a dear friend who works, right? And so they were so grateful to, to receive some of this product. And another hospital where I have another friend out in Maui, um, we were able to get product to them and, and just help bridge the, the supply-demand gap. Since May 15th, they have facilitated the delivery of more than 980,000 units of PPE to over 124,000 frontline workers. And taking a step back, we discussed what lessons can be learned from this crisis so that it may never happen again. I mean, so I, I think there's some supply chain best practices and lessons learned that can be used. I think having alternate sources of supplies is hugely important and understanding your supply chain, where your supply is coming from. Most hospitals buy from distributors. Kirsten discovered that most hospitals are unaware of their supply chain after the distributor. Some may even know their first and second level, but oftentimes nothing beyond that. As a supply chain practitioner, she reiterates that it's vital to fully understand the chain as a whole. It's vital to understand your complete supply chain because disruptions at the very end of the supply chain have huge consequences down the line. So I think one of the best practices is, is really encouraging hospitals and clinics to, to, to fully understand 
their supply chain from you know where the product's manufactured, how it gets distributed, etc., and then to have alternate sources of supply. So if this one goes down, who are you going to buy from? My belief, uh, having been in this role and done it, is that that's fine that that's your distributor's job, but if he doesn't do his job well, then it, at the end, in the end of the day, it hurts you. It's to your advantage to understand your full supply chain. So that, that's one of the, the takeaways that I would say I, I hope that we're learning from this. Good. Uh, th- there's a few others too, but, but that, that would be probably the main thing. If I, if I could tell a hospital supply chain personnel, if there's one thing to do, please, please, please understand your complete supply chain. Go to those end sources, understand what they are, and then also have alternate sources that you can turn on at a moment's notice. It takes work, you know, it's hard to do, but I think it's worthwhile from a risk management perspective. While many buyers feel that this responsibility falls to the distributor, Kirsten points out that if your distributor isn't thorough or reactive, you as the purchaser suffer. If your supply chain collapses, then you can turn to one of your alternatives and continue receiving the material you need to operate. It's only beneficial to you to have a better understanding of the whole process. Kirsten experienced many positives in working with the new team during this time of crisis. One of the things that are surprising slash just heartwarming is the way people did rally around this crisis. I think that crises bring out the best and the worst in people and COVID was no exception to that. So on one hand, you know, you read about all this fraudulent activity and people doing terrible things, taking advantages of hospitals. But on the other hand, I had direct experience with an amazing group of people who all rallied, who dropped what they were doing, who found time in, you know, I wasn't working, but most of the other people were found time in their lives to come together and and really put in the time, effort, introduce, open up their networks, do everything they could to help solve this problem for our country. And and I think that's fantastic. That was such a pleasant, beautiful thing that came out of COVID, or my experience, at least with COVID. For Kirsten, personally, this experience has changed her perspective on her career. She says... Yeah, it's a a great question. I'd say there's not just one transformation. There's a lot of growth that came out of of doing this work. On the technical side, I would say that solving really challenging problems, like I've always solved problems, but really tackling really hairy things, I find exciting. And so one of the things that I'm looking at doing now is some consulting work for messy companies that have been through acquisitions and mergers and divestitures and bankruptcies and and that sort of thing, because I I gravitate towards really challenging problems. Um, So that that was definitely one of the learnings. On the softer side, and and this was perhaps even more transformational for me personally, is I'm I'm so used to going into an organization and getting things done. I'm I'm really good at it. That is a skill set that I leverage, and I have a tremendous capacity to work extremely hard and to get a lot of stuff done by myself. And in this particular environment, I couldn't do that. It was, it was too much. And I had to work with a team. And I was so lucky that I partnered with William Scriven from Benevolent Impact and Dominic Combs from Giving and, and uh, various other people. And together, it, like it was through working together that we were able to achieve success. And that was such a, a lesson for me. If you want to go far, go together patience. This was an exercise in patience. I'm, uh, yeah, I've worked in 
supply chain for 10 years, 15 years, and I roughly understand lead times and I, I know what it takes to get stuff from one place to another. And so like, why would PPE be any different? And, and what I found was that in this particular environment when the entire world is fighting over precious resources, the global logistical system is in meltdown mode, like things take longer. And, and being okay with that was, was another personal learning for me. I would also say that for years I have had bosses, investors, various people come up to me and say, you know, Kirsten, like you really ought to start your own company. We'll back you. And, and I don't think this is atypical for women, but I know for myself personally, I always thought, oh gosh, I'm not ready for that. What do I know about starting a company? Mm. I, I couldn't possibly mm. do that. And in this particular environment, I didn't have time for those insecurities. Like the country needed PPE. I was uniquely positioned to help them get it. And, you know, I, I needed to start a company. So if anything bad happened, I wouldn't get sued. So it was like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I knew the attorney. I knew, you know, who to call and let, let, let's start this up. And, you know, it was so remarkable to me that I'd been through and I'd seen so many companies founding and, and I knew like what steps it needed to take. I just never had the confidence to do it myself. And all of a sudden, it, you know, it's like when you let yourself be successful, you, you are. So that, that was also another mm -hmm. interesting learning. Kirsten has also adjusted the view of herself. During the course of, of COVID, in addition to all the work I was doing around PPE, I actually joined five advisory boards and two nonprofit boards, as well as several networking organizations. And so <laughs> <Is> that <all>? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's it, right? No big deal. A little, little overachiever um, we have on our call today. A little bit. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's three I'd like to highlight because I, I've just found them so valuable. And, and for anyone listening today, I would, I would highly, highly recommend these. Um, so the first one is called Exceptional Women Awardees. And this is an organization that was started by Lorraine Siegel. And the idea is that as women progress in their careers, they lack have formal mentorship because there just aren't that many women who can mentor them. And so the organization provides uh, mentorship to what I would call like the leadership ranks. The mission is to help get more women into C-suite and uh, board positions. So, so that's been just a phenomenal organization. And to have that support and community has been just outstanding. A uh, second one is uh, Dreamers and Doers. So this was started by Geisha Haas, and it is for women entrepreneurs to provide an environment where people can ask things, offer things, and, and really help one another uh, as they go through their journeys in, in growing their companies, which is excellent. And then the, the third one is um, Women Entrepreneur Global. So this is a it's a studio model, and it's a way of creating an ecosystem for women entrepreneurs and helping them not only found their business, but also add functional support, consulting services, financial resources. And, and the mission is to help more women own and grow their companies. I think um, it, a large number of companies are started by women, but they only get a minuscule amount of venture capital funding, right? And so like, why is that? So the goal is to really prepare these women and, and there's an incubation aspect as well as an investment aspect. And, and the organization does incredible things to, to create this ecosystem for women. So, so these are all organizations that I'm, I'm passionate about and still so privileged to be involved in. Kirsten has always had a track record of success in her impressive career, but only after being pushed beyond what she thought was possible can she finally say that she's truly capable of amazing things. She says, The other thing I really learned about myself is that I'm pretty confident and capable of making things happen. 
And it shouldn't have been a surprise to me because I have a track record in my career of, of that. When I felt like I was solely responsible for pulling together a group and, and figuring out how to solve this problem that, that you know, was affecting the entire country, um, I was so pleased to myself that I, I did that. And I, I did things that, yeah, maybe I didn't solve the whole PPE problem, but definitely had an influence to those hospitals I worked with. That was heartwarming. It gave me confidence that I can go into situations and, and really take on challenging problems. In interviewing Kirsten, I was continually blown away by her intelligence, her drive, but most of all, her compassion. In such a strange time, she found herself in a unique position to be able to offer help, and she embraced it. With her diverse background, her connections, and her empathy, Kirsten pulled together a team to fix a national problem that many found, frankly, just overwhelming. After her initial project work with Project N95, she is still extending her abilities beyond the COVID situation to affect positive change to those who need it most. She plans on continuing to do so for a very long time. On the whole, Kirsten says, It's been fun. If you find yourself in a complex situation and you're looking for the advice of someone who knows how to tackle challenges, Kirsten offers herself up to you, our listener. She says you can find her at kirstencurtis at gmail.com. That's K-I-R-S-T-E-N-C-U-R-T-I-S at gmail.com. Certainly you can look for her on LinkedIn and I would recommend you mention that you found out about her via this podcast. That way she has some context for how you learned about her. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.